This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Chapter 103, Psalm 103, if you would, this morning. We're continuing our series entitled Sure and Steadfast. If you missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up on our website. But I would encourage you to download the Hui Kala app because if you have the Hui Kala app with you today, you can click on the Sure and Steadfast series. Click on today's message. There's a button that says Fill in Notes. Click on that. That'll open up a window for you to take notes for today's message. It'll show you all the verses we're going to cover today, all the things that you'll see on the the screen, or just grab a sheet of paper and jot some thoughts down as we go through uh, this passage of Scripture this morning. It's a continuation of last week's message. We started off in Psalm 103. We got through uh, the first six verses. Uh, We'll continue on today. Uh, We'll just read the entire Psalm, uh, verses 1 through uh, 22, because it's all good. Uh, But We'll really focus our time today on verses 8 through 13. Psalm 103, uh, starting in verse number one, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee from loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as the flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant and those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in heavens, and the kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of the Lord. Bless ye the Lord, all ye hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. My son Thatcher was a sophomore in high school at the time, and uh, the Christian school that he attended had a fine arts competition every spring. And people would travel from all over Southern California and even some in Central California to come uh, to our church campus during this weekend, as a Thursday, Friday, for the fine arts competition. And some people would uh, recite poetry, some people would do uh, drama and uh, dramatic arts, some people would do uh, 
orchestra and symphony. Some people would sing songs. They had a, had a preaching competition. And uh, then they had a Bible quiz team and a Bible memory team and things along those lines. And uh, Thatcher would sign up for a couple of those. And he was playing in the orchestra. For some of you who didn't know, my son Thatcher used to play the cello when he was in high school. And so uh, he used to play cello. And so he was in the orchestra. And so we were getting ready for school that morning. And I woke him up and he was getting ready. And I said, hey, fine arts competition starts today. He goes, yeah. I said, what categories are you in? And he says, uh, well, I'm playing with the orchestra. I said, cool, what else? He said, uh, Bible memory. Really? And the Bible memory category was pretty intense because they'll give you a book, like say, for example, the book of Acts, and they'll tell you, memorize the first four chapters of the book of Acts, like every verse word for word. And then the, the, the person giving the, the quiz would say, like, Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. You'd have to buzz in and quote it word for word. And if you quoted it word for word, your team would get a point. And so the only way that you could win the competition is to memorize verses word for word. But I thought to myself, like, I haven't heard a single verse from you in the book of Acts. I haven't seen you studying anything from the book of Acts, like weeks at a time. But somehow you're signed up for the Bible memory. And so I asked him, I said, so have you been like studying this and like I didn't know about it? And he was like, well, no, not exactly. What does that mean, not exactly? Well, I've looked over it a couple of times. Okay. How many verses do you have memorized? He was like, I don't know. No, like, like I don't know is not a number. Like, do you have like two? Do you have like 25? Maybe like three? Wow. Okay, you were given four chapters to memorize and you memorized three verses. Oh, Dad, I've just been really busy. No, 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 I'm not hearing that. I'm not hearing I've been really busy. It just wasn't a priority for you, right? Right. And here's the thing, man. You're on a team of other kids that are counting on you to know your verses. And like, you didn't even put forth any effort on this. And you're going to be an absolute failure today. You're going to embarrass yourself. You're going to embarrass your family. You're going to embarrass your, your school team because you didn't take time to do this. And he was like, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry he's not good enough on the day that you're supposed to get stuff done, son. I said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take you to the principal's office, and you're going to tell the principal, I failed my team, I didn't do my work, and I'm sorry. He was like, please don't make me do that. No, you're going to do that. Because you're, you're going to learn there's consequences for your actions. I don't know what the principal's going to do, but whatever she decides to do is right. And he was just like, please don't make me do this. It's not up for discussion, son. We're going to do it. And so we're driving to school. And, man, I'm reading him the riot act on the way to school. Like, I can't believe you. you. This is shameful. This is terrible. Your last name is King. We're better than this. We're not flakes. We, we, we are there for our teammates. People are counting on you. How dare you let them down? I can't wait to see the look on your principal's face when you tell her that you've memorized three verses out of four chapters that you were supposed to memorize. Like, I can't wait. And I'm going to go in there with you to make sure that you confess every single last part of what you've done. And he was like, okay. And so we get to the school, and he's got, got himself composed. And so I go there and knock on the door. Mrs. Howard, can we see you for a second? And she said, yeah, sure. I said, Thatcher's got something he'd like to say. She's like, Thatcher, come in, have a seat. No, he'll stand. That's okay. <laughs> he'll stand. And so he stands there, and his top lip starts quivering a little bit. And Mrs. Howard, um... I just want to let you know that uh, I'm on the Bible memorization team and I, I, I didn't memorize any of my verses. She said, well, honey, how many verses did you get memorized? He's like, maybe, maybe three. And she goes, oh, sweetheart, come here. It's okay. 
And she's like giving him a hug and patting him on the back. You don't have to cry. It's okay. It's okay, sweetie. You just go out there and you do your best, all right? <laughs> and I'm standing there like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And she was like, what's your, what's your first event? He was like, Bible memory. She's like, all right, buddy, get out there and do your best. I pat him on the back. He walked out and he goes, oh, that wasn't so bad after all. Wait, no, 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 no. Like, oh, I am furious because I've already told him, like, oh, your principal's going to let you have it. Whatever she says is right. Uh, we're going to stand with authority. Uh, you know, whatever she gives you, you deserve every bit of it. And then we walk out, and it's just like, wait a minute. And he's like, oh, that wasn't so bad after all. And I was just, like, overcome with anger. You know why? Here's the funny thing about how we as humans are wired. We want grace and mercy for ourselves. But we want justice and judgment for everybody else. They need to get what's coming to them. They need to learn a lesson. They need to feel the full weight of the decisions that they've made. Yet not me. I've learned my lesson. You know, I, I, I deserve you know, a little bit of grace. I deserve a little bit of mercy. But here's the awesome thing about God. God says, you don't deserve mercy. You don't deserve grace. But I'm going to give it to you anyways. God, when you and I fail him, is the type of God that is just like, come here, buddy, it's okay, give me a hug, and pats us on the head and tells us to do better next time. Isn't that crazy? Because sometimes we have this, this image of God that God is mad all the time. God's sitting up in heaven with lightning bolts, like, like rubbing his hands together, getting ready to like throw them your direction when you get out of line. God's, God's an angry father standing there with a belt in his hand waiting for you to try him. But that's not the picture that Scripture paints of our Father. It says that He's plenteous in mercy. He's slow to anger. Does God get angry? Absolutely. But He doesn't pop off for no reason. It takes God a really long time to get to the point where He's angry because He's full of grace. He's full of mercy. When we talk about the character of God, we need to understand, first of all, that God is love. The Bible tells us that God is love. That's who he is. Now, it's important to understand here before we get any further that we can't ever look at one of God's attributes and elevate it over another. God is a multitude of different attributes, but one of his attributes is love. It's who he is. But his love is always balanced, get this, with his holiness. God is separate from sin. God cannot have anything whatsoever to do with sin. God frowns upon sin. God judges sin. God punishes sin. But at the same time, he's very, very loving. So his, his holiness is balanced out by his love. His wrath and punishment is balanced out by his mercy and grace. And God is perfectly balanced in, in every way. But God, at the heart of who he is, God is a God of love. And it's interesting to note when the Bible tells us that God is love, love is not something that God does. Love is who he is. It's not just like, oh, God happens to love too. No, no, God is love. Now, again, we've heard that phrase before that it almost becomes second nature to say God is love. Yeah, that makes sense. But it would be strange to say Anthony is love. Be like, no, that's weird. Anthony might be loving, but Anthony is not love. Right, because I am not love, but God is love. It's so integrated into who God is that 
that you cannot fully love apart from God. Uh, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for, the, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Here's what that says. I'm going to boil it down for you. You cannot fully understand what love looks like unless you first understand the love of God. You don't have the capacity in you to love unless you first experience the love of God. To our world today, apart from the Bible, we see love as hearts. Uh, we see love as a box of chocolates. We see love as flowers or a romantic dinner. Uh, we, we see love as, as goo-goo eyes that we make towards somebody. We, we see love as just us staring at one another longingly into one another's eyes. And hey, look. That might be infatuation, but that's not love. Love is a choice to put another person before yourself. Love is a choice to be more concerned about you than I'm concerned about me. Love is the choice that I make to make sure that you're okay before I check to make sure that I'm okay. And that's who God is. That's what he does. And God's love compels him to give. True love always begs to be expressed. It always has to come out in some way. Love, as defined in the Bible, is never an emotion. It's always an action. So again, for us to understand the ability to love another person requires us to, first of all, understand the love of God. And God's love at work in us is proof that we are his children. And so the only way, again, that you and I have the capacity to love anyone is first we've experienced the love of God first. God's love must be in us to be able to flow through us. Now, can people do good things apart from God? For sure. Can people be nice to people apart from, from God's love? For sure. Can people experience deep, soul-level connection of love apart from the love of God? According to the Bible, no. It's just a level that you can't reach on your own. For me as a pastor, I would never marry two people that were not Christians because they, I can't communicate to them and help them to understand the love of God, the love they're supposed to have for one another if they don't first understand the love that God thro showed through Jesus, his son. And, and again, for me, I'm not a wedding officiant. That's not what I do. If you want to do that, you can get, hire an event company or get on Craigslist and find somebody. I'm a pastor. I help set people up for future success in life spiritually. That's my job. And so I would never take two people that don't know the love of God and try to get them together in a relationship where they have to put God first and, and exchange the love that God's given them if they don't have it. It just doesn't make sense. By the same token, I would never marry someone who's uh, marrying a non-Christian because the Bible says not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, that Christians shouldn't marry non-Christians, what the Bible says. And so, again... For me as a pastor, when people decide they want to get married, I take them through a big, huge, long process of premarital counseling where we talk about the love of God and how he showed that to one another. And so, but you might say, well, I'm not married. This doesn't apply to me. It applies 100% to you because you are expected and commanded to love your neighbor the way that you love yourself. You're commanded to love your enemies and pray for people that hate your guts. And you can't do that if you don't understand how God loves I can love people who are unlovable because I know that I am unlovable, but God chose to love me anyways. I can be honest with myself and say, there's nothing in me that's attractive to God that would cause him to look at me and go, wow, I really love this guy. What a great guy. 
I am unlovable to God, but he chose to love me anyways. Therefore, I have the capacity now to love others. Look at Jesus and the way that he lived his life. He loved people that hated his guts. The people who crucified him, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. His life categorized love because he was God in the flesh and God is love. But inside the container of God's love is mixed up a lot of other parts of who God is as well. And God's love for us allows to flow his mercy and his grace So from inside God's love flows out mercy and grace, which we see in this passage here this morning. We take a look at verse number uh, eight. The Lord is merciful and gracious. When we talk about mercy, it's important to understand and define the difference between mercy and grace. They work together, but they're totally different. When we think about mercy, mercy is God's care and compassion shown by withholding his righteous wrath and judgment. That's mercy. Mercy is when we confess our sin before God and he should let us have it, should punish us, but he chooses to say, hey buddy, it's okay. Man, Thatcher, I could not wait to get to see his principal's wrath and judgment come out. Like I, like I wanted to pop some popcorn and just watch the show, right? But what did he get that day? He got Mercy. Don't worry about it, buddy. It's okay. Just do your best. Wow, that wasn't what I was expecting. And then she said, come here. And she gave him a hug. I wasn't expecting that. I didn't want to see that. I wanted to see good old-fashioned justice, right? Because there's something in us that cries out for justice, isn't there? There's something in us that wants things to be made right. And God, believe it or not, is a God of justice. And God, believe it or not, one day will make everything right. will bring justice. Again, if we take a look at last week's message, verse number six, God executeth righteous and judgment to the oppressed. If you've ever had somebody do something wrong to you, just know this, God is going to repay that guaranteed. You probably won't be around to see it happen, but just know this, God does not let sin go unpunished ever. He executes righteousness and judgment. But from this also comes God's mercy. That means this. Do you deserve to be punished? Yes. Do I deserve to be punished? Yes. But God is holding back his punishment. God's withholding for a time being because he's merciful. Every time we sin, we don't get what we deserve. We generally get grace. Now, God's grace eventually will run out. God's mercy will eventually run out. And we will get what's coming to us eventually. But God is gracious. He's merciful. Lamentations chapter 3, verse number 22. We talked about this several weeks ago. It's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. Hey, look, you're alive today because God is merciful. If you've lived for any length of time, you can think to yourself of the stupid things you've done that you should have been dead by now, right? The places you've been, near-death experiences, somebody else died but you didn't. Somebody else got sick, but you didn't. And it's only by the mercy of God that you are still alive, that we're not consumed. You and I have rebelled against God, and when we talk about our rebellion against God and our sinful condition, our sin, our rebellion, isn't that one thing we did in college that we're not proud of? Our rebellion is our heart every single day when I just want to do what I want to do. It's our very nature 
of our sinful carnality that's like, I don't want somebody to tell me what to do. I just want to do what I want to do. And if I can't do that, I'm going to try to do it anyways and cover up what I've done wrong. That's who we are. And God says, you can't do that. There's consequences for that. But in the meantime, I'm going to be merciful. One author put it this way, that God's mercy is a quality of his compassion, especially as expressed in his forgiveness of human sin. Scripture stresses God's forbearance towards sinners in his mercy. God shields sinners from what they deserve and gives them gifts that they do not deserve. That's what God's mercy looks like. Hey, you, you deserve punishment, but you're not going to get it yet. Hey, you don't deserve the good gifts that I'm going to give you, but I'm going to give them to you anyways. It's a mixture of God's mercy and a mixture of God's grace. And so by God withholding his punishment from us, he's showing us mercy. And God's mercy is motivated by his, here's a beautiful Bible word, loving kindness. Loving kindness is not a word that we really use in our vernacular today. But it's a beautiful Bible word because it tells us that God's kindness is motivated by what? Somebody help me. Love. Loving kindness. His kindness is motivated by love. And you might be scratching your head going, wait a minute, isn't all kindness motivated by love? No, it's not. Some kindness is motivated by compulsion. You have to be kind to somebody whether you like it or not. Sometimes kindness is motivated by a trade agreement. You're nice to me. I'll be nice to you. You stop being nice to me. I'm going to stop being nice to you. Sometimes kindness is a, a tact of manipulation. I'm going to be really super sweet to you so that I can get what I want from you. God's kindness is not a manipulation tactic. It's motivated by the fact that he truly loves you just the way that you are. Now, it's important to understand, we don't have to change into something to be lovable to God. God loves us the way that we are. Now, you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, well, then why do I need to change? God loves me just the way that I am. And unfortunately, we have many branches and brands of Christianity that that has become their drum beat. Live as you are, stay as you are, God loves you how you are. No, no, no. God loves you so much that he requires that you change. So God loves you exactly where you are, but at the same time, your sin cannot go unpunished forever. God is loving He's kind, he's merciful, he's willing to, get this, okay? He's willing to give you a minute to get your acts together before he rains his punishment down on you. That's his mercy. Okay, I see you're going through a lot right here. I'm going to give you a minute. Take your time, get your stuff together. But you can't live like this forever. You have to change. Sin is offensive to God. Again, because God is holy, sin brings an offense to God. Sin repels God. It pushes God away. And you and I desire to be close to the heart of our Father so we can receive His blessings and His mercy and His grace, but sin repels that. Psalm 25, verse number 6, Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness that they've been ever of old. Psalm 69, verse 16, Hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Turn me according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. And when we talk about God's grace, God's grace is undeserved and unmerited favor shown by God showering us with a multitude of blessings. So get this, God is merciful, but he's also gracious. God's holding back his judgment 
And at the same time, he's giving us good stuff. It sounds counterintuitive because grace and mercy don't make sense. I deserve punishment. But God is withholding my punishment and he's giving me good things. He's showering me with his blessings. Why? Because that's who he is. He's a God of love. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. Psalm 111, verse number four, he hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. I I love that. Full of compassion. We have a father who's compassionate. If you're a child of God, your father is compassionate. Now, for those of us that have kids, especially boys, they're running around outside, they, they fall, they skin their knee. What do you tell a boy? Get up. Walk it off. You're fine. I think I need a Band-Aid. You don't. You need some dirt in that. It'll build character, right? I thought that's just the way parents did things until I had girls, and your girl's crying. It's just like, oh, baby. Oh, this is terrible. Let daddy take care of this for you. I've got it. Would you like a Hello Kitty Band-Aid? Would you like an Elmo Band-Aid? Maybe Paw Patrol. I can do that too. Girls are different. Why? Because I, again, compassionate towards my girls. But here's the thing. When my boys got a little bit older and they started going through some stuff in life, it wasn't anymore suck it up and tough it up. It's hurts my heart as a dad so many times my my boys would face issues in life and the as a dad i want to run and fix all their problems because i don't like to see my boys hurt i don't like to see my girls hurt and as a parent you have compassion if you have a shred of love for your children in your heart you have compassion for your children when they hurt you hurt and you want to fix it right away that's the heart of our father Again, if we take a look at our, our, our passage this morning, Psalm 103, uh, where's it at? Uh, verse number 13, like as the father pitieth, that word pitieth means to have compassion on, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Look, if you're going through a rough spot, God sees you in your hurt, and he's like, hey, I'm with you. I feel badly that you feel bad, and I'm willing to see you through this. And you might say, well, this is a mess that I made myself. That's great even better, because God is merciful and gracious when we make mistakes. When we blow it in life, God is merciful to say, hey, I'm willing to help you fix this. Just like a father has compassion on his children, our Heavenly Father has compassion on us. He's loving, he's gracious, he's kind. That's who he is. And God's mercy, God's grace are the critical foundation of our salvation. It's important to understand that you and I cannot be saved from our sinful condition without the mercy and grace of God. You just can't. Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible also says that there's none righteous, no, not one, that I have sinned, you have sinned, everybody who's ever walked planet earth has sinned against God, except for Jesus Christ himself. Everybody sinned. So again, uh, the idea of, of sin, again, not that one thing that I did in high school or that one thing I did a couple of weeks ago. Sin is a continual heart condition that we have. We can't be good on our own. We can't stop sinning if we tried to. It doesn't work that way. And the problem with that, though, is the Bible says that sin has consequences. There's a price that has to be paid for our sin. 
can you imagine this? H1 freeway, signs that say speed limit 55. Everybody out there is running 105 down the freeway. Everybody. Just zipping, weaving in and out. Get the police officers out there on their motorcycles, and as they see cars go by at 105 miles an hour, they're like throwing shotguns and <laughs> chihus and stuff like that. Just like, yeah, get them, get them. You'd be like, just take the signs down. They don't mean anything, right? If you can continue to break the law and there's no consequences for it, what use is the law? Why would God have rules if you and I can continue to break them without consequence? That's not a law. Those are suggestions that nobody really wants to follow. The only way that the law has any bearing on anyone is if there's consequences involved. You put up a sign that says no parking, you park there, something has to happen. We're going to tow your car, we're going to get a ticket or something like that. Something happens, you know. There's consequences when you disobey the law. You cannot disobey God's law forever and get away with it. Is God merciful? Yes, for a minute. But then comes God's judgment. Every sin will be punished. Please understand that. Every sin will be punished. That should be heavy on your heart. Well, I thought God was merciful. He is for a minute. I thought he was gracious. He is for a minute. But maybe not forever. So, get this. The penalty, the payment. What's the cost of our sin? What's the consequences of our sin? You will die and you will pay for your own sin by being separated from God forever in a real place called hell that burns with real fire for all of eternity. That's what we deserve. That's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. When it talks of death, it's talking about Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. The second death, all whose names were not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. This is the second death. That's what we deserve. Because every sin will be punished. But God is also rich in mercy. He's also gracious. So get this. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8 is cause for celebration. But God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Get this. I was supposed to die for my sin and be punished. You were supposed to die for your sin and be punished. Jesus came and died in our place and was punished on our behalf. So, everyone who would be willing to put their faith in Jesus and what he has done for us and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he is the only way to heaven. And I'm asking him to save me and forgive me of my sins. If you would be willing to do that, then your sin debt that you owe God has been completely and totally placed upon Jesus for payment. And the good news is, Jesus has already made the payment in full. Well, I thought you said every sin has to be punished. It does. And Jesus took your punishment. But you have to believe that and receive it. If you say, well, I'll take care of it myself when I get to heaven. Okay, you won't make it to heaven. You'll pay for your own sin because somebody has to pay for it. So get this. The fact that Christ would die and pay for my sin and yours and for everyone who would believe and receive is a picture of God's mercy 
and his grace. God is holding back his punishment on those that are his children forever. God's extending his grace to those that are his children forever. You'll never be punished for your sin if Jesus was punished in your place because the payment's already been made. Why? Because God is full of grace. He's full of mercy. God's mercy is shown by withholding his wrath and punishment. Again, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, God keeps his wrath and punishment and you'll never see it. That's why when Jesus hung upon the cross, we'll have a good Friday service, the Friday before Easter, to celebrate the cross and everything it means for us. He said three words, it is finished. You know what that means? The payment for our sin was complete, paid in full. And at that moment, God received the payment for Christ for the sins of mankind throughout all of eternity. God received that payment and marked it as paid in full. So I've got a, a tab with God that the day I put my faith and trust in Christ got paid in full and it's wiped out. And do you know what I owe God on my sin account? Absolutely nothing because it's been paid in full. Past, present, future, because of God's mercy. He's plenteous in mercy. Here's the great thing about our God. He'll forgive anybody. The Bible says any that come to him, he will in no wise cast out. It doesn't matter the worst sinner you could ever possibly imagine on planet Earth could come to God in faith and repentance and be saved from their sin. And so you might be sitting here today saying, well, I don't know if my sin's forgiven. Friend, don't hit those double doors in the back until you're 100% sure that your sin is forgiven. It's not a matter of joining our church or becoming a Baptist or getting baptized or going to a class or anything like that. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that He died for my sins. I believe that He's the only way to heaven. I'm asking Him to save me and forgive me of my sins. I believe that with every fiber of my being. If you would confess that with your mouth, boom, in a split second, all of your sin is wiped away and you now become a child of God. Well, what do I have to do to get it? You don't have to do anything. That's the great part about it because God is merciful. He's holding back his punishment and he's gracious. He's giving you what you don't deserve. So God shows us his mercy by withholding his wrath and punishment. John chapter three, verse number 36 makes it really, really black and white. It's really simple. It says, he who hath the son hath everlasting life. But he that hath not the son, those that have not put their sin debt upon Jesus and trusted in him. Those who hath not the Son hath not life and the wrath of God abides on him. I don't know about you, but that's heavy. Because every sin that you commit in your life is 100% on your shoulders. Day after day, week after week, month after month, your sin debt gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And you will die under the crushing weight of your own sinfulness. And you'll be face to face with a holy God who will hold you accountable for every single solitary sin you've ever committed in your entire life and you will pay for it for all of eternity. And I don't say that with a shred of joy in my heart. But if you would come to Jesus Every wrong you've ever done, past, present, and future, will be wiped away as if it never happened. 
because God is merciful and He's gracious. God's grace is shown by giving us His Son, His Spirit, eternal life, adoption to His family, so much more. That God, not only did God withhold His punishment, okay, great, you don't go to hell. Now God gives you all the things that you didn't deserve to begin with. He gives you His Son who would take your place and die in your place and be punished for you and for me. He gives us His Spirit that will live within inside of us so that God will forever be with us and we will never be alone as long as we live because we have the Spirit of God inside of us. He gives us adoption into His family where we gather together in a gathering like this on a Sunday morning, not with a bunch of strangers that we don't know, but our brothers and sisters because God has created for us a new family of people that have our back. Because God is gracious and merciful, He says, hey, your real family might have failed you, but I've got a family for you where I'm your father and I will never fail you. Why? Because He's gracious. He gives you what you don't deserve. He gives me what I don't deserve. Romans chapter 3, verse number 23 through 25, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. There's a lot of, of really heavy, thick theological words in there. I'm going to make it really simple for you. Because of God's grace and his mercy, he's willing to cover your sin by the blood of Jesus Christ so that when he looks at you, he doesn't see all of your failures and your shortcomings and, oh, great, here you are again. He sees you as righteous, forgiven. Here's what happens. When you and I confess our sin to God, God imputes to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The word impute is a, a beautiful Bible word. It means to transfer something to someone whom it does not belong to. Impute. So here's what happens. When we confess our sin to God, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. I'm asking him to save me and forgive me of my sin. God takes my sin and places it upon Jesus Christ. And then Jesus was punished for that. But he doesn't stop there. We sometimes refer to this as the beautiful exchange, where now the righteousness of Jesus Christ is placed upon me. So that when God sees me, he doesn't see my failures and my shortcomings. God sees me as perfect and righteous because I'm clothed in not my own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus. And the day that the Father saw my sin placed upon His Son on the cross, because God is holy and cannot be in the presence of sin, He turned His back on His Son for the only time in all of eternal history. And God the Son cried out and said, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Why did God turn His back on His Son? Because He became my sin. And what do I get from it? I get God's grace. I get the righteousness of God. I get to live a forgiven life. And when God looks at me, he doesn't look at me as the kid who's always messing up. He looks at me as his son who is righteous. Now, how does that work? God's gracious. He's merciful. 
yeah, I know, but I thought you said that no sin goes unpunished. You're absolutely right, but my sin isn't going to be punished on me. It was punished on Christ. Because again, somebody has to pay the consequences, and Jesus was willing to pay the consequences of our sin. I'm thankful that God gives complete and total forgiveness to those that come to him in faith and repentance. (laughs) Again, we take a look at verse number 11 in our passage, Psalm 103, verse number 11. For as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. Think about that. For as high as the heaven is above the earth, that's how big God's mercy is towards us. How many miles would you say it is to heaven from the earth? Anybody want to take a guess? I don't think we know yet, do we? I mean, we've explored as far into space as we can find, and we find that it still keeps going. That as smart as we are, as much technology as we have, we find that we still cannot find the ends of the heavens. That's a picture of how merciful God can be. That's a picture of when you and I blow it, when you and I mess up, how much God's willing to give us a minute to get it together. Because it's merciful. Look at verse number 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far he hath removed our transgressions from us. That when God forgives our sin, it's gone. How far away? As far as the east is from the west. Anybody know how many miles it is from the east to the west? It's kind of immeasurable, isn't it? Like, where do you start? Where does it end? I don't know. I mean, think about it this way. Back in biblical times, imagine saying, I've removed your, fa- your sin as far away from you as a thousand miles would be. Like, can you imagine people in, like, biblical times? You know, like, ten miles was a day's journey, you know? A thousand miles would have been, like, so far away. Man, we could get in a car and drive a thousand miles. You can jump in a plane in a few hours, be a thousand miles away. A thousand miles isn't very far. But think about the east and the west. How far is that? It's immeasurable. You know, the interesting thing is is that God is so gracious and so merciful that when he forgives our sin, he casts it as far away from him as possible, and the Bible says he remembers it no more. But the funny thing is, sometimes you and I hang on to our sin for some reason. I feel bad about it. I feel guilty about it. I'm I'm such a failure. I always mess everything up, and I've had so many things that are given to me, and I, I don't know how to make it through life, and I'm just constantly messing things up one thing after another, and I'll probably always be this way, and I don't know how God could ever forgive somebody like me. Wait, 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 wait. God's already done with it. You should be too. Move on. You see, the thing with God, when we confess our sin to God, God never looks backwards. He only looks forward. Because there's nothing in the back aside from the cross. Think about that. You and I so many times blame ourselves and I'll never be the Christian that so-and-so is. I'll never really get the hang of this Christian life thing or I'll always have these shortcomings, always have these failures or this sin will always define who I am. That's not the Bible talking. That's not your father talking. That's why I love the song we we heard this morning, that the only person that wants to bring your sin up from the past is the devil. And he needs to remember that he's a defeated foe, that Christ, when he rose again victorious over sin, death, and the grave, he defeated all of that, and we're not held liable to that anymore. Oh, the devil wants to bring it back up. Tell him to shut up and go back where he came from. 
because that's not me any longer. My Father has chosen to forgive me. Now, it's important to understand that when our sin is removed, it doesn't just go poof and go away. Our sin is removed, but it was placed upon Jesus Christ. Again, that's what makes God still just. Again, remember, you can't have rules without consequences. You can't say sin has punishment and not punish anybody. So when our sin was removed, it was removed, it was placed on Christ instead. And he bore the guilt and the shame for our sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 21, a beautiful verse. For he hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Again, my guilt, my shame, my sin placed upon Jesus, he settled it once and for all. And let me just pull over for just a second and say this. If you've repented of your sin, yet for whatever reason you want to hang on to your own guilt and your own shame and you want to wallow in self-pity and feel bad about yourself and kick yourself while you're down, please know this. I'm going to be really straight with you because I love you this morning. You are making a mockery of the suffering of Christ on the cross because all that's been settled. You're just taking stuff on to make yourself feel bad. God says you're forgiven. Who else has to speak? Who has more authority to give forgiveness than God? You? Come on. No, no, no. You're set free from that. You get to move on from that because your Father is gracious and He's merciful. And Jesus taking on our sin upon Him was the only way to bring us to God. God wanted you and I to be restored in our fellowship. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that you and I were the enemies of God because we lived a lifestyle of sin, because we were the enemies of God. And the only way to bring us to God, to make peace, that word atonement, to bring peace between us and God was that a sacrifice had to be made, a payment for sin must be paid, and Jesus made that payment 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 18, For Christ hath also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but be quickened by the Spirit, or quickened, made alive by the Spirit. So get this. The just, Jesus Christ, died for the unjust, you and I, to bring us to God. How did he do that? By his death, and by his resurrection. That's why five weeks from today we're going to have a massive celebration of the resurrection of Christ because it saved us from our sin and it proved once and for all that sin, death, and the grave has no power over us just as it had no power over Christ. But here's the thing. So many times we're willing and ready to give sin power in our life again. We're willing to give ourselves over to guilt and shame and feeling sorry for ourselves. Just let me tell you this. If you decide to show yourself, throw yourself a pity party, just know this, God's not going to show up. He has compassion on you, yes. Uh, again, verse number 9 or 10 tells you that he has pity on you for sure. But he's given you a way out of that. And if you want to wallow in self-flagellation, He's like, hey, payment's already been made. You just need to move on. Why? Because he's merciful, he's gracious, and he does it because of his loving kindness. 
You want to cleanse yourself from sin? Repentance is the only way to cleanse yourself from sin. And repentance is a critical part of the gospel. Now, what do we talk about when we say the word repentance? Repentance, the Greek word metanoia, as used in the New Testament, literally means a change of mind or to agree with God. Basically, I change my mind and the way that I think from thinking that I'm okay to admitting that I'm not okay. And repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of heart, which results in a change of my actions. Things change. Now, repentance is different than sorrow. And we need to understand the distinction. Sorrow is just I feel really bad. I feel super crummy. Oh, I messed up again. I feel terrible about it what are you going to do about it i don't know i'm just continually making a mess of my life that's sorrow our sorrow must lead us godly sorrow will ultimately lead to repentance i've messed up but i'm done living like this i've made these mistakes yet again and i'm tired of it and i'm choosing to change that's repentance. And repentance is a critical piece of the gospel. You cannot be saved apart from repentance. Unless you think like, oh, I just needed the gospel when I got saved. You need the gospel every day because the gospel tells you if you continue to repent of your sin, you continue to be forgiven of your sin. That's the gospel. Here's the beautiful part. First uh, John chapter 1, verse number 9. You should, if you're right, taking notes, you should write that down. First John 1, 9. And if you struggle with habitual sin or habitual guilt of sin you need to come back to this verse again and again and again and again and again first john chapter one verse number nine if we confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that's so beautiful you know why because you want to make things right with god Confess your sin and repent. That's it. You don't have to go through any process for that. And here's the beautiful thing. Who do you confess your sin to? You confess your sin to God. I'm thankful that we don't believe in an unbiblical view that you've got to come tell the pastor or a church leader every time you do something wrong. You go straight to God and tell him. I'm thankful. Notice this verse here. It says if you confess your sin, he forgives it faithfully justfully and cleanses you from all unrighteousness what does this verse here say about penance penance isn't a thing with god hmm how about that for those of you who aren't familiar with the idea of penance it's a matter of like after you confess your sin you've got to do these a external acts to really prove that you're sorry whether it's praying this particular prayer a certain number of times or doing so many good deeds for other people or like, keep track of the good stuff that you do or how much money you give as a way to show that you're really, really sorry. No, confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from how much unrighteousness? All of it. Well, there's some things I've done that God just can't forgive me from. God disagrees with that. God does not believe you. And that's not a biblical thought. And you're probably listening to the, to the devil way too much. Because repentance is critical. But here's what Isaiah 59, verse number 12 says. 
For our transgressions are multiplied before thee. In other words, my sin are piling up before God. Our sins testify against us. For our transgressions, our sins are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. Basically, Isaiah was talking about his people were not willing to repent of their sin, and their sin just began to pile up. And know this, sin always has consequences, always. In this case here, Isaiah said our sins just continue to pile up. Isaiah would say in another place that God's ear is not so heavy that it can't hear, and his arm is not so heavy that it cannot save But your sins have separated you from your God so that he will not hear you. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in a place where my sin has created so much distance from me and God that God doesn't even hear my prayers anymore. But that's real. That's legit. The psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, if I know that I have sin in my life and I don't confess it to God, God doesn't hear my prayers a dangerous place to be and just know this friend if you're a child of God if you've been saved if you've been born again is God merciful yes is he gracious definitely but please understand you will never get away with sin scot-free God loves you too much God's given you his guidelines not to steal your fun but to increase your joy and when you do things against God's law against God's rules you will be held accountable The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 12, that he chastises, he spanks, he disciplines those children that he loves. My daughter Tallulah, she's four years old. Imagine she takes off running across Waimanu Street, right out the front door into the street. I go out there and I grab her by her arm, lift her up by her arm, put her on the sidewalk, get in her face and say, don't ever do that again as long as you live. Good father or bad father? Good father, right? Oh, you hurt my arm. I hurt your arm to save your life. A hurt arm's a lot, not as bad as getting hit by a bus, that's for sure. Oh, you talked really harshly to her. I needed to make sure that she never forgot the lesson that I was teaching her because the next time I might not be there to catch her. Are you seeing the correlation here? When we step out of line, God's going to make your life uncomfortable sometimes to call you back into a right place where he can bless you. It's called chastisement, and it's because he loves you. He loves you too much to allow you to blow your life up. So you want to choose to blow your life up? Go ahead. It's going to be a really rough road for you. God guarantees that. But if you want to walk in righteousness and holiness and follow his commands and follow his path that he has, he's willing to bless you because he's gracious. He's willing to give you a minute to get your act together because he's merciful. But God doesn't wink at sin. God doesn't take it lightly. God expects you to obey him, and he expects to bless you in return. Three final thoughts here today, and we're done. First of all, God doesn't deal with us according to our sin, but according to his love, his mercy, and his grace. I praise God that he does not give me what I deserve, because I deserve death and hell. I'm glad that God doesn't deal with me based on how good I am or how well I obey. He deals with me based on how good he is and how gracious he is. Every good thing and every good gift that you have and I have in our lives comes from our Father because He's gracious. Next, failure's not final. God's love, mercy, and grace always gives us a path forward, always. If you've blown it, 
Join the club. If you've made some massive, colossal monstrosity of mistakes, that's kind of the stuff that God specializes in. And I think you'll find yourself at times in your life where you've come so low that you say, the only person in the world that could get me out of this would be God. Perfect. That's the space that he likes to work in. And so if you failed, your failure's not final unless you quit. You just got to keep moving forward. And again, God only deals forward. Now, if you've made mistakes, does God erase your consequences? No. Consequences are just part of life. But God doesn't hold it against you. I'm thankful that I don't get a little bit further down the road and God's like, oh yeah, you remember that one time you did this? Yeah, this, I hope it's not like that again. That's not my father's voice. And here's the thing. If you hear that voice, just know that's not your father's voice. It's either your voice or it's the devil's voice. And you can just say, shut that off. Like, I ain't even hearing that. But God only deals with moving forward. Whatever's happened in the past is over. It's done with. If you've repented of it, it's forgotten. Now, if your sin has not been repented of it, it just continues to pile up. You need to deal with the pile. But it's really easy. Confess your sin, and he'll forgive it. And you get to move on, move forward. But God doesn't deal with what's in the back. He's in the restoring business. And this passage here is a passage of restoration. You know, the interesting thing about restoring something is you make it better than it was before. I had the opportunity in my life to work on some old cars. I like taking a little project car and spiffing it up. I'm not great with stuff like that, but I enjoy it. It's fun. But it's funny, the parts that I buy for my cars are not the original equipment. It's like the new and improved, you know? From replacing my incandescent headlights, I'm going to put LED headlights in it now, right? From replacing my tires, I'm going to get better, thicker, wider tires with a better tread. If it's on a muscle car, I'm going to buy tires that smoke a lot whenever you take off, right? I don't know. The key is I'm going to do it better than it was before. When God restores you, he doesn't bring you just back to zero. He brings you back to a positive balance because God's in the restoration business, not just bringing you back to zero. God wants to take your failure and help you move forward through that. Not because you're good or because he sees something in you that he can work with. He does it because he's gracious and he's merciful. And at the end of the day, he'll get the glory from it. You'll be able to stand back at your life and say, hey, look at everything that God's done. I remember I tried to torpedo. I remember I got off track. I remember I failed, but God has been good. Look at all my father did. He gets glory from that. So if you find yourself stuck in a failure, just get out of it and move on. Final thought here today. God will not be merciful and gracious forever. There's coming a day of reckoning. Again, if we look in our passage of Scripture this morning, Verse number nine, he will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. God's not going to hold back and be merciful forever. The Bible says that God's spirit will not always strive with man. There's coming a day where you will be left holding the bag of 100% of all of your sin. Don't do that. Confess your sin before God today. If you're not saved, be saved today. It's as simple as that. I'm putting my faith and trust in Christ as my Savior, and I, I choose today to turn to Jesus and turn from my sin. Hey, you get a fresh start on life. You get a brand new beginning. 
And you might be sitting here today going like, oh, man, I could have used my brand new beginning today, but I've already used it up. No, it's not. God's mercies are new every morning. You know, it's funny. Is that I, I used to think I accepted Christ when I was nine. I was saved, born again when I was a nine-year-old boy. And I remember like in my early 20s, I'd made a gang of mistakes, and I'd really, I tried to wreck my life, but by the grace of God, he saved me from totally wrecking my life. But I remember like 21, 22, thinking to myself like, I wish I could get that do-over, that fresh start today. I didn't need it when I was nine. I hadn't really screwed up a whole lot at nine. But by now, I've really made a mess in my life. I wish I had that do-over today. But I didn't understand the grace of God. Because the Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning. Today, I got a chance to get a fresh start, a do-over with God, and move forward and live for Jesus today. And if you blow it today, you get to wake up tomorrow morning and live for Jesus and you get a do-over starting tomorrow morning. If you blow it on Monday, you get another chance on Tuesday. But if you're not a child of God, your, your time's just going to run out at some point. And you're 100% on the hook for your sin. So I encourage you today, if you're not saved, be saved today. For those of us in the room today that are Christians that have been saved and born again already, are you living under the grace of God are you living in the mercy of God? Or are you living in your own power, what you think you can do? Are you living in the grace and forgiveness and restoration of God? Or are you wallowing in self-pity, self-hatred, self-doubt, self, self, self? Man, get out of that. Move on. God's got greater things ahead for you, but you can't see them yet because you're stuck where you're at in a rut. Get out of the rut and move forward. How do I do that? Repentance. And then just a choice to move on. And I say, Pastor, uh, things are great between me and God. Good. Would you today live a life that's worthy of the grace that he's given you? If God has withheld his punishment from you, would you live today, tomorrow, and every day until you get to see Jesus in gratitude and thankfulness for all that he's done for you? Because our God is a God of restoration. <laughs>